I don't know if there's many fiction readers out there. As defined in Wikipedia, alternate history or alternative history, it's, it's a whole subgenre of fiction. It's a genre of fiction consisting of stories in which one or more historical events occurred differently. These stories usually contain what-if scenarios at crucial points in history and present outcomes other than those in the historical world. That's what alternate history is. There's some popular storylines in some of the most reviewed or the best reviewed his alternate histories. I haven't read any of these, so I can't really say if they're good books or not. Uh, one of the most famous has... Uh, tells a story of what if the Black Plague in Europe had killed 99% of the population of Europe instead of a third of the population, and deals with all the fallout of if that happened. Another is, what if the Confederate States had won the Battle of Gettysburg? A popular one is, what if the United States had lost World War II? The U.S. had been occupied by Japan and Germany, or maybe what if America hadn't come to Britain's aid in World War II? This morning, God's messenger, the Apostle Paul, although he speaks truth, engages in his own alternate history. He answers the question, what if? What if there were no resurrection from the dead? In 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Paul responds to a teaching that had grown in Corinth. It was the teaching that the believers who died would not receive resurrected bodies. Paul doesn't give the origin of this false teaching. He doesn't explain the reasoning behind it, really. Perhaps the Corinthians had been influenced by the ancient Greek presuppositions that the physical world was bad and that the spiritual world was good. For those who grew up thinking that, they saw death as the escape of the immortal soul from the sinful body. For them, a resurrected body could maybe seem like a step backward, like going back to prison after being released or an adult becoming a child again. As maybe some of what was thinking that was going on as the Corinthians started believing that there was no resurrection of believers after they died. So that's just a little of the background here. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 19. And as we read, pay particular attention to verses 12 to 19. It's there that Paul engages in this alternate history. He explores the consequences of what if Jesus did not rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for dying. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. 
But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. He's reinforcing, they believed that Christ rose from the dead. Now in verse 12, here's what the teaching that crept in the church. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Let's pray together. Father, we see a bleak picture that Paul paints here of what life would be like if Christ had not risen from the dead. We see that our hope would just be a sham. If you didn't resurrect your son, there would be no forgiveness We'd be in our sins. We'd be deceived. We'd be giving false testimony about you even as we speak here now. But we are here this morning, Lord, completely convinced of the opposite, that we know that Christ rose from the dead. So I pray, Father, that as we look here at the consequences of Christ not rising from the dead, if that were true, I pray that our conviction, that our hope, that our confidence, that our boldness, that our joy in his resurrection would increase. Lord, that we would never live for a moment as if Christ hadn't risen from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to see seven logical consequences of Jesus not rising from the dead. Now, that's kind of strange saying that. And I, and I kind of kept wording that because it's logical consequences of something that's not true. Right? But these are the dominoes that would fall if Jesus had stayed in that tomb. Or if his body had simply been stolen. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we're going to look at seven logical consequences of Jesus not rising from the dead. And the purpose is so that you will joyfully and boldly live out the truth of Christ's resurrection. So that you will joyfully and boldly live out the truth of Christ's resurrection, which really did happen. In verses 1 through 11, Paul begins, 1 Corinthians 15, by reminding the Corinthians of what the gospel is. And he doesn't do this to convince them. He just affirms what they know is true. In those famous verses in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, we read what's of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is of first importance. And by God's grace... I trust that, and you've done it, I've done it, when we share the gospel, sometimes we can leave out the resurrection. And by God's grace this morning, the resurrection will become even more important to you, that you can agree with Paul, this is of first importance. Now, Paul wasn't trying to convince the Corinthians that Christ did rise from the dead. They believed that Christ rose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 11, he says, So we preach and so you believed. 
This is what you believe is true. This is what we believe is true. This doctrine defines who Christians are. But despite believing that Jesus came back to life, some Corinthians argued that Christians would not be resurrected from the dead. Verse 12, we see that now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? That he has been raised from the dead in verse 12 is just another way of saying what Paul said first. Christ is preached, and then it's a phrase describing it, that he has been raised from the dead. The proclamation of Christ is inseparable from the preaching of the resurrection. No matter how many times we leave it out when, when we share the gospel. To preach Christ is to proclaim the resurrection. Christ is not a dead man whose bones will one day be found in Israel. He is not a man who only lives in the hearts of his followers. He's not a man who only lives on in his teachings. Christ is the Son of God, the Son of Man, who lives in heaven now. A man who has a physical, resurrected, imperishable, eternal body right now. Paul's reasoning against this false teaching is simple. If Christ has been resurrected from the dead, can you really say that there's no resurrection? It doesn't make any sense. Paul continues in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Do you really want to go there, Corinthians? Because if there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't risen from the dead. For the sake of argument, though, Paul builds upon this false premise. If you want to say the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And then Paul continues. And we're going to see where this game of what if leads us. And we're going to look at the first consequence. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our proclamation is vain. We see that in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Then there is as a logical consequence, a necessary logical consequence. If Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching, and that word preaching refers more to the, the content of the proclamation than the act of it. Our proclamation, the truth that we proclaim, is vain. It's empty. It's hollow. It's without substance. It's like sending your kids out on the Easter egg hunt, not telling them that all the eggs out there have no candy in them. They're just dumb little plastic eggs. It's empty, hopeless. How disappointed would our kids be? If Christ isn't risen, our gospel proclamation is without truth. You know, speaking of, I, I noticed earlier that there was a box of Krispy Kreme back there. It's missing now. Did any of you go for a Krispy Kreme? Do you know what was inside that box? Vegetables. That's what, like, the proclamation of Christ is without the resurrection. It's vain. It's empty. It's hopeless. It's vegetables. The gospel without the resurrection is nothing more than a fable. It's a myth. It's a hoax. You might as well be sitting down at lunch later today and share how Peter Pan or Mary Poppins or King Arthur changed your life. It's a joke. Without the resurrection of Christ, Charles Hodges says, the whole gospel is subverted. Again, Charles Hodges writes, Christ rested the validity of all his claims upon his resurrection. If he did rise, then he is truly the Son of God and the Savior of the world. His sacrifice, if he did rise, has been accepted. And God is pro, propitious, propitious, 
He takes our punishment. His wrath is satisfied. If he did not rise, then none of these things is true, Charles Hodges says. But we know that since Jesus did rise from the dead, our proclamation is not vain. Since Jesus did rise from the dead, our proclamation is not vain. Romans 1 verse 4 says that Christ was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Our proclamation is true. Jesus has risen from the dead, just as he promised. Luke 9.22 is just one of the many times Jesus prophesied about his resurrection. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on on the third day. Many times he prophesied that. If Jesus were wrong at this one point of his resurrection, our whole message would be meaningless. But when Jesus rose from the dead, God put his seal affirming the veracity of all Jesus did, of all Jesus said of all Jesus promised to be. The good news of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4 is not an April Fool's Day joke. It is true. It is the proclamation that Christ rose from the dead. That's the first consequence. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our proclamation is vain. The second is our faith in the gospel is vain. The proclamation is vain, but so is our faith in that that proclamation. We see that in verse 14. Verse 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Then he continues, Your faith also is vain. And Paul's logic is simple here. If the message is empty, so is our faith in the message. The story is often told of the the, uh, apprehensive traveler approaching the gangway of the Titanic who gazes up in amazement at its looming hulk. And they ask, Is this ship really unsinkable? And we don't know if this truly happened or not. It's an often told story. They nervously inquire of a nearby deckhand, is this ship really unsinkable? Yes, lady, the deckhand answers. God himself could not sink the ship. That woman's faith in the Titanic is only as good as the message that she puts her hope in. We know that that message was not true. If Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is pointless. Your faith is no different from that of Muslims and Hindus, of animists and atheists. Your faith is no different from those who worship Baal and Ra, Odin and Zeus. Jesus is just another in line of false gods. If Christ had not risen, the gospel is just another world religion. And Jesus is just another dead, misguided religious guru. Quote Charles Hodges again, the dead cannot save the living. But since Jesus did rise from the dead, your faith in the gospel is not vain. It is not empty. Jesus lives. Romans 6, 9 says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. He is never to die again. Revelation 1.18, Jesus announces himself as the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. No one is getting past me. Hebrews 7 verses 24 to 25 talks about the benefit of Christ's living. 
But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We have a high priest who will never die. Because Jesus lives, your faith is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain because Jesus lives. As we continue Paul's what-if game, we saw the first consequence is that our proclamation is vain. Second was that our faith in the gospel is vain. The third is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have lied against God. And, and I know that that wording is a little awkward there. I left it there because that's what is in uh, the text. We have lied against God. It's interesting. I think it's interesting for a purpose. The we in verse 15, and, I'll, and let me read verse 15 again. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. The we here includes Paul and the other apostles. He just spoken about their testimony in the beginning of chapter 15. If the dead are not raised, then God didn't raise Jesus from the dead. And if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, then the apostles are exposed as liars. They are false witnesses. They are perjurers. They are frauds. They are not good men. The apostles proclaimed that God raised up Christ. This Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses, it says in Acts 2.32. God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. The apostles talked about from their own testimony. We, we read in Luke how the apostles passed on Jesus saying in his resurrected body, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus wasn't some disembodied spirit. He tells his disciples, touch my hands and my feet. Of course, he brings attention to his hands and feet because of the nail wounds. The apostles witness to Jesus' eating. Luke 24, verses 41 to 42. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Either he was hungry or he wanted to show that he was a real person. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Jesus ate it. This is the apostles' testimony. This is the truth that we have inherited from them. Jesus did not stay dead. But if the resurrection did not happen, the apostles lied. And according to Old Testament law, they are false prophets. They are false prophets who would be worthy of death if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But more than just lying to men, Paul says that they lied against God, accusing God of resurrecting someone whom he hadn't resurrected. In a sense, accusing God of doing something that he didn't, of putting upon God something he hadn't done. The apostles slandered God if God didn't rise Christ from the dead. Raise Christ from the dead. But since Jesus did rise from the dead, we testify to what God has truly done. We testify to what God has truly done. And to the extent that our message 
parallels the message that the apostles preserved for us in God's word, that God preserved the apostles' message in his word. We are trustworthy witnesses of God who does not lie. God is not a man that he shall lie. This is true testimony. We speak for God. This is what Paul says in Acts 17, verses 30 to 31. God is now declaring to all men that all peoples everywhere should repent. That is the message we proclaim this morning. That is the message that we leave here to proclaim. That God is commanding all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The proof is there. Christ has been resurrected from the dead. God has appointed him to be the judge upon his return. Those who deny the resurrection of Christ, they are the ones who lie against God. They are slandering him. They are false witnesses. They hide his truth. There's no middle ground here. Either you tell the truth about what, Christ is, what God has done, or you lie about what God has done. Jesus did rise from the dead, and we testify to the truth of what God has truly done. We can go on with these what-ifs, as Paul does. He takes a little break in verse 16 to refresh that this is all argument here. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Remembering, we're just playing a game of what-if here. We're just speculating. It's nightmares fiction. We've seen what the consequences are. Our proclamation is vain. Our faith is vain. We've seen that we have lied against God. And next, the fourth consequence, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith in the gospel is worthless. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith in the gospel is worthless. That's what Paul says. I'll read verses 16 and 17 together. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And that is true for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, your faith is worthless. Now, that's very similar to what Paul had said earlier when he said that their faith was vain. This time he says it's worthless, it's futile, it's fruitless, it's useless, powerless. It's not accomplishing what God promised if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's like most toys you pull out of a cereal box. Very disappointing. Whereas those as-seen-on-TV products, you aren't thinner, you aren't healthier, you aren't happier. You just have less money. They don't do as promised. They're worthless. Without the resurrection of Christ, none of the gospel promises come to fruition. If Christ did not die, I mean, did, did not rise, your worthless faith, and I hate even saying this, your faith is worthless, it won't bring you what God promises. It won't bring you the wisdom the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption in Christ. You will have none of those things. If Christ didn't rise, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. There will be no comfort for you. You will not inherit the earth. You will not receive mercy. You will not be called the sons of God. If Jesus didn't rise, all his promises are bunk. 
You'll never find rest for your soul. You will never bear much fruit. You will never be forgiven. You will never know the truth and you will never be set free. You will never rise up on the last day. There's no hope for us if Christ didn't rise from the dead. But we know that this is a hypothetical. This is a what if. We know that Jesus did rise from the dead. Your faith in the gospel is not worthless. Your faith in him will be effective and fruitful. Your faith in him will be effective and fruitful. The living Jesus will accomplish in you what he promises. You will have abundant life. You will bear much fruit. You will have joy. You will attain to the resurrection from the dead. If you have true faith in Jesus Christ, your lives are transformed. To you who believe Christ is your wisdom and Christ is your righteousness and Christ is your sanctification and Christ is your redemption. Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. Paul leads us to a fifth consequence if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are forever under sin's dominion. And we see that in verse 17. We are forever under sin's dominion. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Paul adds some detail here to what worthless faith is like. And really, that's what the best speculative fiction does. It really plays out the story with all these details of what would happen. Someone imagines how, how, how history would unravel in a completely different way at those key events hadn't happened. And maybe you've, you've read, some, read or seen some time travel movies where the kind of the same thing happens. You go back and change that one point. And so here, Paul says I, some of the most hopeless words in all of Scripture. You are still in your sins. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, you are still under the dominion of sin. It's one thing to hear. You are still in your sins, but there's hope for you in Jesus Christ. Right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's sweet to hear. But without the resurrection, all you can hear is you are still in your sins and you always will be. What terrifying words. Well, hopelessness without the resurrection of Christ. You know, those who don't know the resurrection of Christ, that's all the news that they have. I mean, that's really how people are living out there right now this morning. Still in their sins. And for all they know, they always will be. We have to tell them. Without the resurrection of Christ, you have no hope of ever being declared right with God. Romans 4, verse 25, Paul talks about, he says, he, talking about Jesus, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, he was delivered over to death because of our sins, and was raised because of our justification. Christ was raised because of our justification. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, you can be justified. You can be declared righteous. All who believe in him have Christ's perfect standard of righteousness attributed to their account. He takes the punishment of their sins. But if Christ did not rise, you have no justification. 
Only judgment. Without the resurrection, you have no capacity to walk in newness of life. This again comes from Romans. Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul here in Romans 6, 4 through 5 plays out the ramifications of being unified with a resurrected Christ. As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We have the ability to obey. We will obey if you are united with Christ, if you are united with him in his resurrection. But that is only true if Christ rose from the dead. If Christ rose from the dead, you have no union with anyone except Adam. You are dead in your sins. You are forever enslaved in sins. There is no hope for you because the best shot that humanity ever had stayed in the grave. There's no power to please God. There's no power to love God. That is the reality of being still in our sins. We will have no justification. We will have no ability to walk in newness of life. And without the resurrection, Christ is not interceding for you. When Satan comes before God, brings the best example of humanity he can find, and says, look at how sinful they are. God is going to say, you're right. Send them to hell. Right? You have no one interceding for you. But listen to what Romans 8 verse 34 says. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. That is good news. Christ is interceding for us at the right hand of God. Not on the basis of our good works, but on the basis of his. Without the resurrection, you would have no advocate before the Father. It would just be you. And you without Christ is horrible. Me without Christ is horrible. Only selfish. An enemy of God. But we have an advocate with the Father in Christ. We have justification in Christ. We have newness of life in Christ. Without the resurrection of Christ, you would forever be God's enemy. You would forever resent his reign. You would forever despise his commands. You would forever be enslaved in your sins. But since Jesus did rise from the dead, that's what we're here to celebrate this morning, right? Really, it's why Lord's Day is on Sunday. Jesus did rise from the dead. This is what we celebrate every Sunday. You are freed from sin's dominion. You who believe, who have Christ as their only hope, have been declared righteous by God. You who, have, who believe in Christ alone have been released from slavery to sin, and you have been freed to obey. You who believe in Christ alone have the living Jesus interceding for you based on his own record of obedience. How hopeless if Christ had stayed dead. Our faith our proclamation would be vain. Our faith in the gospel would be vain. We've lied against God saying he resurrected Christ when he didn't. Our faith in the gospel would be worthless and fruitless, empty. We'd still be under sin's dominion. 
And it leads us to our sixth consequence. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and we're probably like, stop here, Paul, right? Like, this is a horrible, bleak future. I don't want to hear any more of this. But Paul continues, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we will perish eternally. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we see this in verse 18, we'll perish eternally. Verse 18 says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Asleep in Christ is an often used phrase in the New Testament for believers who've passed away. Paul even used it earlier in the, in the uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, of those who had seen the resurrected Christ but have since died. Inherent in this euphemism, this, this polite way of saying died, fallen asleep, is the expectation of awakening to a new day. Right? Falling asleep isn't falling asleep if you wake up to hell. Right? I, I don't know what it is. It's horrible. But without the resurrection of Christ, that's exactly the reality. There is only eternal night. See, any believer, anyone who put their faith in Christ without the resurrection, when, when they die, they, they expected to see the face of their living Savior. Expected to see Christ at the Father's right hand. That was their one hope in life and in death. But if Christ did not rise, where is he to be found? You can hypothesize in this horrible game of what if that he was one who lied, who lied about his resurrection. And where are liars? They are not in heaven. Revelation says that. The one who lied about his resurrection, who's deceived millions, is perishing along with those who he's deceived. If there is no resurrection from the dead. I even hate going there, right? Without the resurrection of Christ, nothing was finished on the cross. It was all a sham. It's still going. Judgment is still ongoing for all of us. If Christ did not rise, all you face is eternal condemnation and judgment from God. If Christ did not rise, your every loved one who died in Christ is likewise perishing. Believing a hoax is not some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, they were well-intentioned. In the Bible, perishing does not mean that someone is annihilated. It is forever punishment. It is, as according as Hodges says, the loss of holiness and happiness forever. All are in hell without distinction if there's no resurrection. Every human... From Adam on. But since Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, we who believe in him will live forever. The resurrected life of all who believe in Christ is inseparable from a resurrected Christ. Jesus knew this. In John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You will not face eternal death if you are in Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. When we face death, we have nothing to fear. We can close our eyes knowing that when we awake, we will see Jesus Christ. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus is the risen life giver. He is the living one. He is alive forevermore. He has the keys to death and Hades. Whoever believes in him, as the much loved verse says, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we will close our eyes and find ourselves with him for all eternity. Paul, let's stop this what if game, right? But there's one more. Seventh consequence. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we deserve to be pitied. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we deserve to be pitied. And that's where Paul goes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. See, if Christ has not risen from the dead, our hope is woefully misplaced. Honestly, buying a Powerball lottery ticket is an infinitely better investment than hoping in Christ if he is still dead. Really, you might go after any crazy scheme if Christ did not raise from the dead. When it says that if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, hoped in the Greek is in the perfect tense. We have set our hope and continue to hope, as one commentator said. The only, and you see there, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, refers to the whole phrase. If we have hoped in Christ in this life with nothing beyond that hope, with that being all of our hope, with hope confined to Christ in this life, if that is our all in, if he is our one hope in this life, as we are of all men most to be pitied. We deserve pity, not just for being deceived, not just for believing a lie, but because those who believe lies, there's many who believe many lies, who face little consequences, right? You can believe in the Easter Bunny if you want. You're not going to face any consequences for that. But if Christ didn't rise from the dead, why are we sharing in his sufferings? We share in his sufferings for nothing. We foolishly proclaim to a lost world, a living Christ who's coming back to judge. If he didn't rise from the dead, why are we doing that? Why are we making fools for ourselves out there? We risk our relationships. We forsake pleasures. We make disciples of a dead man for no reason if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Why would we do that? foolishness. The apostles exemplified this partnering in Christ's suffering. Look at a couple passages of 2 Corinthians to see what they suffered. Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 6 verses 4 and 5 some of the suffering that he went through. Afflictions and hardships and distress and beatings and imprisonment and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger. Why did he go through all of that in the proclamation of the gospel? Because he knew Jesus Christ lives. Again, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28, and Paul's doing this to, and he doesn't want to, but as he's defending his, his apostleship, and, and really he's, he, he's, He's boasting in his weakness here. He describes, in far more labors, but just listen to what he goes through. In far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, 
often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. What a fool! to go through all that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, right? What foolishness. Why embrace that kind of life if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? If Christ didn't rise from the dead, the apostles deserve pity for this lifetime commitment to this hoax, which they truly believed in, right? Why would you go through that if you didn't believe in it? But Jesus did rise from the dead. And so we do not deserve pity, right? The world, those without Christ, may think that we are foolish, but we are not foolish. We have everything. We've been learning about that in Philippians 3. Right? In Philippians 3, let's review those verses, verses 8 through 11. Paul describes us as those who count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We are not fools. We are not to be pitied. We know Jesus Christ, the living Lord. For whom, Paul continues, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We are not fools because Jesus is alive and we have righteousness from God through Jesus Christ. Paul continues in verse 10 of Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no power of his resurrection. We have, as we talk about this, no capacity for new life. But we have counted all as lost for the sake of Christ, all as rubbish, all as filth, and we shouldn't be pitied for that. I mean, you, you can see what motivated Paul here, and you should see what should motivate us. Jesus Christ lives and maybe we lack some motivation in our gospel testimony, in our disciple-making, because we stop too often at the cross. But there is a living Christ, and that is who we proclaim. We proclaim him because he is coming back to judge. God has resurrected him. He's given his proof. So we know the power of his resurrection. We also know the fellowship of his suffering. We know the partnership of his sufferings. We go through what Christ went through in this life as we love God and as we obey his commands and as we make disciples. And that's why the world looks at us with pity, or they should. Do you have people in your life looking at you with pity? Right? They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Is there anyone who says, what fools? Why are they giving up all that pleasure? Why, why do they keep proclaiming the resurrection of Christ? Why are they suffering like they are? What foolishness.
But Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And we look forward to attaining to the resurrection from the dead, to our own bodies being resurrected because Jesus Christ is alive. We have not been duped. We have not wasted our lives. We are not the object of some cosmic, cruel, practical joke. Because Jesus rose from the dead, ours is the righteousness. And ours is the power of his resurrection. And ours is the fellowship of his suffering. And ours is the resurrection from the dead. Jesus lives. Today, there's been a certain darkness here, right? This, 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 this alternate reality has been a nightmare fiction Oh, it's been a horror novel of a world without a risen Christ. Especially for those of us who believe in it. If Christ had not risen, our proclamation would be vain. Our faith would be empty. Our faith would be worthless. Our testimony, an assault on God's integrity. Our slavery to sin eternal. Our punishment unending if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But brothers and sisters, the resurrection of Christ is not alternate history. We are not religious fanatics for some speculative fiction. We do not hope in a cleverly written, what if Jesus rose from the dead? That is not our hope. Jesus Christ is risen. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And that is what it means to be saved. It is to have all of your hope in that resurrected Lord at the right hand of God who took the punishment of sinners and who is interceding for us. Do you have that hope? Is Jesus your only hope in life and in death? Is your hope that resurrected Lord at God's right hand? It is true. And it's not true because I say it. It is true because God has spoken and he is true. So let's live today as if that proclamation is true. It's going to make a difference, right? Let's live like that proclamation is true. Let's live as if our faith in Christ is truthful, not empty, as, and it's as effective and not worthless. Let's live today as if our sins are forgiven and as if their dominion has been overthrown because they have been. As if our hope is eternal because our hope is eternal. And as if we are the most blessed souls in the universe. Because we are the most blessed souls in the universe. We are not to be pitied. We are not fools. We know that Christ is risen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we know we know Jesus lived. We know Jesus was hated. We know he died. But I thank you that this good news didn't end there, Lord, because it would not be good news without the resurrection. I praise you, Father, that on a Sunday morning, nearly 2,000 years ago, you resurrected your son. You gave him new, perfect, eternal body. He is forever man, forever representative for those who need a high priest, forever the sacrifice of, of, of sinners, forever the propitiation that we need desperately but don't deserve, 
forever our atonement, forever our justification, forever our righteousness, forever our sanctification, forever our wisdom. Father, I thank you so much that you resurrected your son. I thank you that all of this is true. Father, we are not those who lie against you. We are those who confess what is true about you. Help us to have boldness in confessing what is true about you. That you resurrected your son. Oh, Father, we thank you for the hope that is here. That we are no longer in our sins. And, 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 and that those we know and that those we love who are in their sins right now don't have to be. Lord, we thank you, Father, that we are no longer in our sins. We thank you that our faith is not empty and worthless. We thank you, Father, that our punishment will not be eternal because Jesus lives. Oh, Father, we, we, we thank you that, that, that you have not allowed this, this, this horrible trick of some horrible story about Jesus rising from the dead, but that you have testified to your own son rising from the dead. And it's true. Father, I pray that you would help us to live like it's true. Help us to rejoice in that truth. Help us to be bold with that truth. And help us to live like, like men and women who should be pitied if it weren't true. Help us to look like fools to the lost world because they don't believe in that resurrection. And I pray, Father, that as we go forth with such conviction that you would save more of your elect, Lord, that we'd be willing to suffer all things for the sake of the elect. And may that be even true this day, as I know some of us have, have the blessing of sharing it, this uh, day celebrating your resurrection with those who don't know you. Father, may our speech this day be so full of the resurrection of Christ. Thank you so much for what is true. In Jesus' name, amen.